So Nigel opened up this new series on 2 Corinthians and he shared with you last week some of the history and some of the things that Paul had been through and how the church in Corinth was started. And we start, I'm afraid I haven't done any PowerPoints this, this week. I haven't had time. There's been a few other things going on. You can look at me. There you go. You know what? You'd be better off looking at the Lord. <laughs> but thank you. So I, I just feel like God's already set us up. He's already set us up this morning for what he's going to share from this passage. Because when we start in this passage, there is, there's so many good bits in it. And he's going to show us which bits to pause at and which bits to continue at. Okay? And we're doing that together. We start in chapter 2, in verse 12. And Paul, he goes to Troas. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but we know who Paul was, don't we? Paul was this incredible guy who he was a passionate guy. He was a guy with strong beliefs, strong passion. He, you know, before he knew the Lord, he would go around persecuting all the Christians because he'd been brought up by the law and he was following the letter of the law and therefore he wasn't sure the Christians had got it right and he was persecuting them. But God met with him in such a dramatic way that Paul then, he carried on in his character. He was still that passionate man, but his allegiance was different. And now he was going around sharing the good news about Jesus. And yeah, amen. I'm all for um, interruptions and heckling and everything. Please do join in. But he's in... He's gone to Troas, and he's found an open door. So when we were just praying for Tim and his family, and they had shared with us, was it only last week you shared or the week before? Yeah. Well, when, when you shared, you shared about an open door. So here's Paul. He's gone to this place, and he says, I found an open door. So let me just read it to us. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ... Even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Now, to me, that's out of character. Why, why did Paul not stay where there was an open door? Paul, who is passionate, he's been going around the world preaching that's why he's on these trips. He wants to preach. He wants to share the good news of Jesus. And he's found an open door in this place that he's gone to. Yet his spirit is troubled. Why is his spirit troubled? If you were here last week, you would have heard some of the background. The trouble that he'd been having with the church in Corinth. This was a group of Christians that he'd been involved in their conversion. They'd set up as a church. He loved them dearly, but things weren't going well for him. And there was all sorts of things. There's been letters that have been rather depressing. There's been affliction in Asia. There's been criticisms of his integrity. There's been all sorts of things going on. 
And he was troubled about that. But he says in this verse, he didn't have rest in his spirit because he didn't find Titus there. Now, Titus, we know, was very instrumental in the relationship between Paul and the Corinthian Christians. And there had been difficulties that Paul had agonized over in his relationship. But I believe that Titus took a letter to the Corinthians from Paul. Now, you've got to remember that back in those days, they didn't have social media and mobile phones. So he'd arranged to meet him in Troas. But Titus wasn't there. That's why Paul's spirit was troubled. He was troubled. He thought, I don't know what the outcome of that letter is. I don't know if Titus is even okay. And it just made me think, what are we like when things aren't quite as we expect them to be? How do we react? There's lots of times, I'm sure all of us can think of times, when we've planned something and it hasn't gone to plan. And we thought it was of God and we thought we were doing, you know, we we thought everything was going to work out and it doesn't. And that's hard. And here's Paul not finding his friend there and he's got this amazing opportunity But it's like he can't pick up that opportunity. Can you think of times when you've not been able to pick up an opportunity that God's given you? An opportunity when you could have shown kindness to somebody. An opportunity when you could have prayed for somebody. An opportunity where you could have been used by God as a channel, but somehow you couldn't pick up that opportunity. Well, you're in good company because Paul had the same problem. He couldn't pick up that opportunity of that open door. And he went off to Macedonia because he wanted to see if he could find Titus somewhere else because he was desperate to know how things were. Then after this verse, we don't hear any more about Titus. And it's almost like the, the chapter gets cut And Paul takes a different tune. Um, But it's not until much later on in the book that we find that Paul and Titus do meet up and everything's okay. So he's all right. So we come to a break. And we have this break where you could almost take this section out of this letter and have it separately. And the... Rejoining with Titus, isn't, I think it's about chapter 7, I think it is. So it's much further on, so we've still got to get there. Um, so what Paul's been saying in this letter so far, from last week and these couple of verses, it could be quite a depressing account, couldn't it, of his ministry, where, as I said, he's had these afflictions, he's had criticism, His integrity has been questioned. And almost as if to balance it, now Paul strikes up a positive note. And he's speaking about how he is upheld, even when there's distressing times. So we get to the wonderful bit in verse 14, where it says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us, 
spreads the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. (laughs) For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, an aroma of death to death, and to another, an aroma of life to life. So again, just a couple of verses, but how much depth is in there? He leads us, he always leads us in triumph in Christ. There's loads of discussion about what does this mean. But there's an, I just feel there's a real element that Paul is saying that with the strength of Christ, whatever is going on, we will be led through and we will be led in triumph. Now, the Romans had a tradition of having triumphal processions, and that would be very much when a general came back victorious from the war, and the whole city would celebrate, and there'd be this big procession through the city, and one of the things that happened was that they would burn incense to the gods, and there'd be this incense over the whole place, Now, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but this morning we've got smelly candles. But I can't actually smell them, can you? (laughs) And I'm like, okay, for when they were in my dining room yesterday, they filled the whole space. We obviously need more fragrance here, don't we? But we've been singing about the fragrance of God. And, And I think that there's a real part of... What do we understand about the fragrance of God? What is the fragrance of God? Is it a smell that we can smell? Or is it just something that God does? Now, I know for some people, they've been in the experiences where they've been in the spirit or they've been in a meeting, and there is a smell. And there is a smell of sweetness, a sweet aroma. Now, in that procession where the incense was being burned, what we have to remember is that for some, it was a wonderful sweet aroma because they were, they, were, they, were being, they were celebrating victory, weren't they? But within that procession, there would also be those who had been caught, and they were the captives. Now, they were in the same procession. They were going through the same streets, but that smell for them wasn't good because at the end of it what did they face they weren't in victory so they faced death or slavery so this whole thing about the fragrance so for one person it would be life and for another person it would be death and when we were talking about smells we came up with the idea in the office when we were chatting about like blue cheese. For some people, blue cheese is a wonderful smell. And for other people, it's absolutely disgusting. So it is our perception, isn't it? It's our perception what this fragrance means. What does this fragrance mean to us? And I just wonder, how, do, how fragrant do you feel? <laughs> do you feel sweetly fragrant? <laughs> Or maybe not. How fragrant do you think this church is? 
Do we have a good fragrance? Out people outside, if they th- think on us, do you think they think there's a sweet fragrance? It's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? Do you want to expand on that? Elaine said, maybe we don't have a fragrance at all. Yeah, maybe, maybe we're not exuding anything. And maybe we can be challenged this morning that actually we should be sharing the fragrance of Christ. Well, I was really encouraged because uh, when I realized that this, this verse was in this passage, which is today's passage, and I was sharing, I thought, oh, that's interesting. When I first joined this church, one of the things that I was asked um, on my application form was, um, what's your, your mission statement? And I thought, mission statement? I don't have a mission statement. And I thought, what's my mission statement? And do you know what God gave me? That I would be a sweet fragrance for him wherever I was. And then, I'm I'm on one of the summer 18 teams. I've got that privilege of going away with some of our teenagers. And when we had the INET Expo a couple of weeks ago, all of the teams were commissioned and they were prayed for. And within the prayer time, one of the people praying for team prayed very specifically that we would be the fragrance of God. And, and it reminded me, because I'd forgotten the verse. I'd forgotten it. And so I was reminded of it. So I thought, oh, okay, thank you, Lord. So I thought, I'd just share that with you. <laughs> but there is that element, isn't there, that when we preach the gospel to people, that for some people it's good news, but for others it's not. And... Um, It's interesting, isn't it? And we're very much in that culture at the moment. Are we good news? Do people like to hear the good news? And a lot of people don't, do they? They don't want to know. But the other thing that that verse said, let me go back to it, where does it say? So, so, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us spreads the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those being saved and among those perishing. We are the aroma of God. How do we express that aroma? How do we be that aroma of God? We've done it this morning. <laughs> the fact that we gather together to acknowledge Christ. We're the aroma of Christ to God. So any time that we gather together to proclaim Christ, we are that sweet aroma to God. Do you feel like the aroma to God at the moment? The aroma of Christ to God? Do you feel that? Take that in. Take that in. You are the aroma of Christ to God. So when God looks at you, he gets that sweet aroma. Paul then goes on and says, who is adequate for these things? And basically, none of us are, are we? None of us are adequate. But later on, he talks about the fact that our adequacy is in God. It's not in our own abilities. It's in who we are in God and the fact that God is in us. It's not about what we can do. It's about what he can do through us. And he goes on and he talks about Moses and he talks about Moses when Moses came down from the mountain if you remember when he came down from the mountain 
his face, when he this was when he received the Ten Commandments, his face shone so brightly that it actually scared people. The people were frightened because his face was shining so brightly. And he, so he covered his face with a veil so as not to frighten the people. But when he went into the Holy of Holies, he took that veil off and there was a freedom and it illustrates what we've been doing this morning, that when we are in the Holy of Holies, we are free. There is a freedom, and we have that freedom. And it's the difference of the old covenant and the new covenant. So the old promise and the new promise. And Moses came down from the mountain with those tablets of stone with the law written on it. Now, in this passage, and I will read it in a moment, but he talks about the fact that it's written in stone. But what God actually wants to do is instead of writing it in stone, it's writing it in our hearts. And that's what he's done with the new promise from Jesus. He's written it in our hearts. And it's not on stone. And again, it's not about us having hearts of stone, but hearts of flesh, hearts that respond to him. And... When you, I mean, when I think of Moses and I think of him going into those places and just beholding God, we spend so much time trying to do right, trying to be the right people that God wants us to be. And God's just saying, just come and be with me. Come and be with me. And we see it in the scripture, don't we? And Paul was a perfect example that he used to live by the letter of the law. And we're not saying the law's irrelevant because it's good guidelines for us. But Paul lived trying to keep the laws, as did so many of his contemporaries. They were trying to keep the letter of the law. But what happened to their hearts? Their hearts became hardened, and they were no longer loving and kind. And that's why Jesus had to come and show them a different way. And it's just like, I don't know about you, but I, I remember for many years as a Christian, I tried to do the right thing. I tried to be that good Christian. I tried to make sure I had my prayer time. I read the Bible. I was kind to people. I wasn't judging people. And do you know what is hard work? <laughs> it's blimmin' hard work. And do you know what? At the end of the day, it didn't make an iota of a difference. Because it's not what I can do. It's what God's already done in me and in all of us. It's not about doing everything right and trying to earn our salvation. Because actually we can't. Paul's contemporaries, they were tripping up all over themselves, weren't they? They were getting it completely wrong. Yet Paul had that wonderful encounter of grace with Christ. So I just want to encourage you this morning that if you've been trying really, really hard, it's not that God dismisses that and doesn't count it, but he's saying, I love you. I love you for who you are and just relax, be in my presence, be with me, because actually, I'm the one that's at work in you. And I'm always so encouraged 
with the scripture that says he hasn't finished with us yet. It's an ongoing process, isn't it? And we're learning day by day. But how do we grow? Again, a bit like what Alison shared right at the beginning of the service. Are we in the shallows or are we in the deep? Does God actually know us? Are we actually in that relationship with God? Paul was in that relationship with God, and he was making the contrast between the old law and the new law, which is the Spirit of God. So let me just read to us the the passage. I'm going to start from the beginning again. So just let God's Word minister to you as I read it to you, and then we'll see what else we're going to say on it. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus here. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So one question. Is there something that your spirit is not at rest with? But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us spreads the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, the aroma of life to life. Can we identify those that we have contact with that respond differently to who we are? I know some people love my company, but I know others who don't. And I think it's to do with that. Some people like the fact that we're Christians. And actually there's a spiritual battle going on so that for some people, just us being there is uneasy for them. And who is adequate for these things? We are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. I forgot I hadn't mentioned that bit, had I? There were people, there were teachers in Corinth who were going around and they had letters of recommendation, but a lot of those letters were false letters. And they were saying, Paul's no good, he's got no letters of recommendation. Huh? Fake news, fake news. Um, and again, just on a personal note, and, it may, and I'm only sharing it because I think it might resonate with some people, I have spent years feeling unqualified because I don't have a qualification on paper. But what Paul said here was that the Corinthians were his letter of recommendation. The actual people were. He didn't need a letter in his hand. He had the witness of them that their lives had been changed through his ministry. Another little thought. There's another passage that talks about we're known by our fruits. 
we can have all the degrees and qualifications we like, but actually, are our lives fruitful? Such confidence we have through Christ towards God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And that's where he's talking about the old covenant with the laws written out. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, because we did say that Moses' face shone with the glory of God, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. So there was a glory with the old covenant, but with Jesus, he's overtaken all of it. It's so much bigger, so much more. For if that which fades away was with glory much more that which remains is in glory. And then coming towards the end of chapter 3, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away but with their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Does anybody know, is, do they still read the bit of Moses with a veil over their faces? So I'm looking at you, Naomi, just wondering. Or Sam, where's Sam gone? Oh, he's gone. Okay, okay, we don't know. But that was obviously, do you know, Nigel? Is that the practice, that they still veil their faces when they read the scripture of Moses? Okay, okay. But there certainly was a time when, when they, they have done that. And this is why there's the talk about the veil being lifted, you know, and that we don't have to have that veil. Um, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. We know that, don't we? The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's not by our own efforts. It's by God's grace and he's working in each one of us. And his, it's for his glory. And that's why you're all sitting here now. It's for his glory. And do you know what? He loves you. And he's just shining, he's shining his glory down here. So we're just going to take some time to respond and listen to him.
listen to what he might be saying to you. So we say, come Holy Spirit. I say, come Holy Spirit, you've already been here all morning, but just say more, (laughs) more of you, Lord, more of you, more of you, Lord, in this place right now, more of you in our hearts, that we may commune with you. We're so grateful for the opportunity to do that, that we can do it together and sharing the bread and wine. Lord, we've been communing with you. We continue to commune with you. But I just say more, Lord, more of you, more of your glory, more of your spirit ministering your message into our hearts. Have we been challenged about the fragrance? Are we aware that sometimes... People don't like the fragrance we bring. Has that hurt us? And if it has, I just say the Lord says, I know, I know, and it hurts him too. And Lord, I want to say sorry for the opportunities that I've missed, times when I've not been able to do what you set aside for me to do, and for whatever reason, I've not managed it. But Lord, I thank you for your grace, and I thank you that even though we, I have, and maybe others have missed opportunities. I thank you, Lord, that you will not stop bringing those opportunities to us, that there will be more opportunities, more opportunities to be, who, be you to the people that we encounter. I believe there's a number of you here who are really enjoying this communing with God, that you're conversing with him, you're sharing with him the things that are on your hearts. And he's sharing with you the things on his heart for you. And I don't want to break that. I want to continue to give you that opportunity. So if that's not you just yet, don't worry. Just stay in his presence. For many of you, you don't often get a bit of space to be still and know that he is God. That's why I'm allowing that space now. Just for you to have that space. Paul experienced the fact that God had given him a task to do and he knew that he wasn't up for the task and his competence was in God and God himself always makes it possible for us to carry out the tasks that he assigns us and he does this by bestowing his spirit on us. So I wonder if there's a task that you've been given. Is it to be a good neighbor a good friend to somebody? Is it to help the poor? Is it to be a parent? All really valuable tasks that God gives us. And sometimes we take them for granted. Sometimes we don't see them necessarily as a God-given task. But if it's a God-given task, then God will equip us for what he wants us to do. And Lord, I thank you that like Moses and also Paul and all believers, I thank you that we can approach you in confidence and freedom and that as we do that, we will and we do behold your glory. So perhaps the band could come forward and sing for us. I say sing for us, I should say lead us. Lead us in worship. Um, This morning, as we were in worship, um, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I wonder, shall we do that one again? So if if you're enjoying the space with God, you just carry on. 
you carry on enjoying that space. But we will worship all together. And remember that as we worship, we are that aroma to God, that aroma of Christ to God. And so enjoy being in his presence and letting him minister to you. Thank you, Sarah.